G'day, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Isaac, aka Shrek. And uh, if you're with me for the first time today, welcome along for the ride. This is the home of interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. And uh, if you're having a dry spell, if you're just having a, doing a tough patch at the moment, just love your spear, and then you're in the right place. This is um, this is a great place to listen in and uh, sort of share vicariously in a few stories, get some actionable tips for your spearfishing, and uh, and just froth out on spearing as usual. Um, today. We're chatting with Brett Whitman. He's the host of a newish spearfishing uh, podcast called The Spear Factor. And uh, he's, had, he's had, I think, he's had more than 10 interviews now. And uh, I've listened to at least three or four of them. And I'm really enjoying his show and seeing the growth in it. And uh, I'd encourage you, if you like the new Spear podcast, you're probably going to like Spear Factor. So head over and check it out. But um, Brett's, uh, a, a, you know, the composite autumn, he spent... A lot of time in the military and uh, and diving in and around the water in all sorts of different ways. Today we geek out on diving dirty viz. So we talk hunting techniques, we talk equipment, we talk um, buddy safety. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Um, so if you dive dirty water frequently, uh, and most of us have to, it doesn't really matter where you live, everywhere gets dirty water at, at, at times unless you're absolutely sport. Um, so you're, you're going to enjoy it today, some actionable information as usual. Uh, before I get there, just a real quick a shout out, we've got um, the North Florida Shootout, so go to northflshootout.com, it's a competition over there in Florida. Uh, the captain's meeting is August 5th and 6th at Ancient City Brewing. Uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about the North Florida Shootout, then definitely go to northflshootout.com, check it out. Uh, Ryan, always providing an awesome comp and... Um, Love that stuff. It's been awesome to sponsor and provide a couple of books for prizes there for guys in that area. Um, I just want to thank all the patrons. So patreon.com forward slash Noob Spiro. I've got 30 patrons powering the Noob Spiro podcast. Every single dollar that goes towards the Noob Spiro Patreon funds trips where I get to come out and go diving with you guys, the listeners, with some of the past guests we've had on the show and follow up on some of the invites I've had. And, uh, and hopefully do a couple of live interviews. And I've done a few. I did uh, Melbourne late last year. I did um, New Zealand earlier this year. And I recently got out on the Great Barrier. And I've got four more interviews coming out um, there soon. So definitely get, head along to uh, sorry, patreon.com forward slash noobspirit. Jump on, become a patron if you froth out on the show. But uh, hey, let's get into today's episode with Brett Whitman. Boom. This episode of the Noob Spirit Podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. You might as well check out some gear while you're thinking about spearing and get an idea of what you want to buy later on down the track. Everyone's looking to upgrade something, whether it's your spear gun, your wetsuit, your float. It doesn't matter what it is. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. Fantastic reviews from a whole bunch of people just like you. People that love spearing. If you like, head into the stores. Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney or Perth. There's 70 passionate team members that can give you some help, getting some idea about what to buy next. But uh, the online shopping experience is fantastic too. And if you shop online, for every purchase over $200, if you use the code NoobSpero, you save $20. Thanks for supporting the NoobSpero podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. Welcome to the NoobSpero podcast. Um, we've got Brett Whitman here from Spear Factor podcast. He's from a a really awesome competing podcast. So I didn't really want to get him on the show, but um, he forced me into it. So uh, welcome to the show, Brett. Uh, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. So 
<laughs> I mean, I've been listening to I've been listening to Spear Factor, so um, I listened to a couple of the early ones, but uh, then I listened to Chris Coates, and there was a couple of sound issues, but man, the quality of that interview was excellent. He he um he delivers awesome, and then I followed on and listened to the Mark Healy interview. They they blew my socks off. I was loving it. Yeah, those are going to be tough to follow up with, just because those guys have so much experience combined. But like, yeah, I just. Yeah, it's just I was really uh, happy to have them on the show. They did. They're all it was such a good community. I swear, spearfishing is such an awesome place with meet the coolest people. You know, it's nice to share with everybody. Yeah, and unlike me, when you approach the podcast, you you had quite a lot of a substantial amount of experience spearfishing and a, and quite a lot of knowledge. Like for me, I was pretty much in my early days, and I still am in a lot of ways. I think you've done a you've done a lot of spearfishing. I mean, you had a military background, navy diving um, sort of experience. Tell us a little bit about that, and um, and and sort of how that's influenced your your spear. Yeah, so I mean, to go way back uh, in college, I went to the military academy at uh, West Point, and I played football there. I was on the boxing team, and then got my head rang really good, and pretty much failed out for the most part um, after a few years. No jeepers. Yeah, and then um, uh, so there's no more contact sports, so that kind of changed my life too, because up till then, you know, it was all contact sports. But I had dove, um, been introduced to the water from a very, very early age through surfing and uh, even just snorkeling. And um, so I just started, I, I got back to San Diego. Well, I got back to California, moved down to San Diego with a friend of mine and tried to like relive college years as best as I could. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, from yeah. being like basically locked up to like, all right, let's make up for some lost time. And I started working at this bar and one of the guys I worked with at the bar um, as a, I was a bouncer and, and he was during the day, he trained dolphins and sea lions for the Navy as a, as a contractor. So, and, and he was leaving to go train dolphins in Hawaii at Oahu. Um, and so he was like, Hey, you should, you know, you got a military background or whatever. And you're a water guy, you should uh, apply. And so I was like, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, training dolphins. Uh, I love animals. Like I really do. I think they're really cool. I've always been interested in them, but I don't know shit about training dolphins, you know? And so he introduced me to my boss. Um, and my interview was like talking about surfing and diving for an hour. <laughs> yeah. That's a good interview. Yeah, it was That's a good job like, interview. So I guess I got it or, you know, yeah. And so that as a 20, you know, two year old, um, uh, it's a good, like, so my first week, like that was like a dream job to me. Right. Like you're going to pay me to dive and to play with dolphins all day long. And then we get to do like cool military stuff. So I still get to be connected to the military because this was all pre 9-11. And it's something I always wanted to do my whole life. My dad was in the army and all of that. And my buddies were still there. And um, anyway, so my very first week of the job was like we were off site doing some practice train missions or whatever with the animals and like the very first day we uh we went out and i didn't even know what the hell was going on there was a dolphin in the water and all that and then the dolphin saw like a a, a whale and got spooked and took off and i think i told the story on my podcast too before but it was like my very first day dolphin got spooked saw a whale took off we couldn't find her we had to go fuel the boat up to go try to look for this dolphin running around the ocean and like as we're getting fuel the guys like 
uh, you guys Navy SEALs? I'm like, no, no, not SEALs. And it was one of those like, right, okay, right. You know, like a wink. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not a SEAL. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, you guys uh, usually get a case of beer when you get gas. And I was like, uh, okay, whatever they usually do, you know. So the guy wrote up the case of beer like gas on the shit. <laughs> and so then we head back out and we're like, you know, drinking beer, driving around the ocean on a, on a, on a government whaler that, you know, I, <laughs> that I could never afford probably, um, chasing, looking for a dolphin. And like, to me, that was like my first week. And I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. Like, this is awesome. No, that's and I did that job for 12 years, um, basically diving every day. And like, literally when I say diving every day, I mean, diving Monday through Friday. I mean, one year I had like 1200, 1400 dives. I mean, they're bounce dives. So they're like two minute bottom time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty of that is eventually it got to the point where it was like, I don't need tanks for this. It's two minutes, pretty shallow. So I literally would just free dive all day long, uh, you know, probably three days a week. And the other, as the time progressed three days a week, and then I would dot, I would be a supervisor, dive supervisor the other two days. Okay, cool. But I spent a ton of time in the ocean and granted the, the thing that I found really interesting is that the time I spent in the ocean was very, very concentrated to certain areas, surf zone, poor visibility, you know, Southern California. We went around to other places, um, you know, like the guys went to New Cal one time, um, uh, Washington, Vancouver, you know, Virginia, uh, the Middle East, but most of the experiences in that area. And so what I found was that I was becoming really well, like um, experienced in my little, my little backyard but I still didn't know like shit when it came to other places, which kept me really humble, you know, I think, I mean, for the most part, I, you know, but yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. And with sport, because today you've, you've sort of, we've teed up to chat about dirty water diving when we get to the veterans vault. And it sounds like a lot of that experience is sort of um, fed into a, a, a fairly comprehensive knowledge about how to do it and how to do it effectively. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, like some of us are very fortunate to have a job, um, and I still kind of do, that feeds into my recreational activity very well. So um, I've been very fortunate. Um, and yeah, so, you know, in my early days with diving all the time, and then I was, we were basically, uh, I met guys at work that were into spearfishing, and then I got more into spearfishing as I got more into big wave surfing, because I was kind of practicing breath holds, and then just kind of like, was what you do in the surf was, small you'd just go spearfish and then when the surf was good you would surf so everything worked out it just it led to me spending as much time as i possibly could in the ocean and you know small boats and things like that so i loved it i still do hey you must love it because you've had enough time on top of working in the ocean and spearfishing all the time to to go and start a spearfishing um podcast and start talking with some of the the people around the world that you know you've wanted to make connections with um so that's pretty awesome man um so you live in you live in California. Just give us a, a sort of a bit of an overview of where you live and and what the dive conditions are. You know when you hit out spearfishing now. Yeah, so I live in uh, San Diego, California, Southern California, and it's pretty much uh, very similar throughout all of Southern California. They kind of consider it Northern California the minute you pass like Point Conception. There's that little part of California that sticks out, and it gets real sharky. You know. <laughs> Um, and uh, bad viz and things like that. But 
bad viz to our, uh, like what we think is bad viz. But so, and for us in Southern California, we do a lot of kelp diving, uh, looking for sea bass, a lot of reef diving where we look for like sheep's head to make ceviche out of, or calico bass, um, sand bass. Um, and then, I mean, that's what I mainly focused on for if 15 years before I could afford a boat and get offshore, you know? Um, and then there's that aspect where we have, you know, the visibility could be anywhere from, well, I went out last Friday and it was like six inches cause we had the red tide. You've probably seen like some of the bioluminescent stuff, but it's real clear underneath. It's just dark. So you need like a flashlight. Uh, okay. Yeah. But, um, so it could be like, that go is- ahead. That'd that'd feed in really well with the kelp, like you you've already got kind of this um, loss of light because of the heavy kelp beds, and then you've got a, a a layer of this red tide on the top as well. I'd imagine it'd be incredibly dark even in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's really. Um, I mean, I don't typically try to go spear fishing, and I just we've been quarantined for six weeks, and I was like, I'm going. I don't care. Mm. Um, probably have to run into a sea bass to actually hit it. But, um, <laughs> I mean, when it's like dark, I mean the darkest pitch dark you could possibly imagine, like the first 10 feet, mm. um, like, I mean, it is just straight dark. You have total loss. But what I notice is like, if you go down and look up the hole that you punch through the red tide gives a little bit of light. And then, um, also when we were diving at work, we would bring flashlights, uh, to try to find stuff on the bottom and what we found was like. I remember when I was younger, it was like, wow, the visibility is actually really good usually because red tide usually happens in the summertime when the, um, where it kind of settles down, it's not that much surf. Uh, and we typically get like, I guess I would say like early summer, we get really good viz and kind of on and off through that time, uh, into fall. And then the surf starts to pick up and it's not necessarily we get bad viz. The conditions get a little more serious though, as far as like shore diving and things like that surge. Um, okay. And then the colder water comes in, right? Cause then that changes everything too. Colder water comes in and then all the, the fish that usually hunt like sea bass, they all bounce and go and, and either go deep water or um, yellowtail. That's the other big one we hunt around here is yellowtail kingfish, you know, mm. um, Yep. And then offshore, I mean, most of that stuff is in the kelp. And most of that stuff is like most of those 50 species, like the game fish wise, as far as white sea bass and, and, and yellowtail, they're all like 30 feet like and higher. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you can find them deeper for sure. Um, but they're not, I guess, by our definition as, as spear fishermen, like they're not deep. They're not like really deep diving fish. Um, you go offshore now it's a different thing where you get the blue water where you're getting the kelp that breaks off or kelp patties that breaks off from up north and they drift down. That's like the little, I call them like rest stop areas in the middle of the ocean for, you know, little mini like, Mahi. yeah. Uh, when the water gets warm enough, like the water temp will be like, can, I mean, we had one year, it was like 78 offshore, which I'm not sure what that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm following it up to have yeah. a look. Se- 78 uh, F to uh, Celsius. Or what do you guys see? Se- you're, you're like 25 C. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we just said Celsius. Help, help, it was 75 help. degrees. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's 20, 25 degrees Celsius is 78. That, that's warm water, I think. But I think even now I've got 20, 24 degrees, which is probably was 70, 74 yeah, or something. Usually we're degrees. lucky to get like 70, you know, like that's 68, probably average 68, 70. But then as you go offshore, the water temp will go up a lot of times too because you don't get those updwellings that you get like from the coast there. Okay. Um, but usually in the summertime, yeah, you're looking at anything like high 60s, low 70s. And then we get Mahi um, one year. We had that crazy year where it was really warm. We got Wahoo. Um, but usually you'll get yellowtail on the kelp patties, uh, some Dorado, Mahi, and then uh, the, the, the tuna, which like we get yellowfin, which I've never shot one from here locally. Um, and we get the bluefin, the big bluefin that everybody's like, you mm-hmm. know, hearing about ever. Everyone frothes oh, over. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, that's a love-hate relationship there. That kind of, it's like playing whack-a-mole. Like in terms of the, the hunting, you mean? Yeah. Like, so if you, the reason why, okay, <laughs> it's funny. Like, uh, you know, you hunt, like we spearfish because we love to be in the ocean. So you spend all day in a kelp bed, like looking, you may not see anything, but you still spent like all day on a kelp bed or all day on a reef. You know, mm-hmm. and you saw something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You go offshore for tuna and you're just driving around looking for tuna. And, and obviously in certain spots, but you may not see them at all. You might have to meter them, like see them on the meter. Or um, if you do see them, they'll be the worst is when they're all around. You see them everywhere. And the minute you try to get in, it's like whew, just gone. Yeah, yeah. And you don't even you don't even get a chance. It's like I got excited last year because I saw three of them underwater. That was like the whole year. That was like as close as I got. And they were coming like, I don't know, 20 knots just right past me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So your bluefin, they're a Pacific bluefin? Right. Yeah. Northern. Okay. Yeah. The- I'm still trying to work out the genuses and subgenuses. I, I, I'm pretty terrible with fish knowledge in general. How's your fish knowledge? Uh, it's about the same. No, it's like I know what I know. My little, you know, pretty well. Uh, and I, that's okay. It's not bad. I don't, I don't, I don't try to be, be a marine biologist. I can assure you that. Like, but I'm, I'm trying to learn more. Like, there's a book here in Australia called Grant's Guide to Fishes, and um, Daniel Mann and and Trevor Kitchen, like two local guys. Well, Daniel was local. Um, that know a lot. Have you both referred to this book? I bought it, and it's just sitting there and neglected. Um, it's hard. It's hard to sit down and sort of study a manual, isn't it, and learn all the scientific names and stuff. I mean, if it had all the hunting tech, you know, like people's opinions on how to hunt them effectively and information about their sustainability and you know movement behaviours and stuff like that, I'd, I'd probably be more interested. But it just seems a little dry. Like it's like an encyclopedia to pick up. Yeah, it's probably written from a scientist, you know, like very factual. Like, so my thing that I'm really more into than anything, and it was the same way when I was training animals, was that I'm more into animal behavior, like, than worry about like the geniuses and the species and the subspecies. Like, I like that stuff to know how it um, relates into animal behavior, like with orcas all over the world, different hunting techniques. Same with like sharks, too. Um, and like, and the reason why that kind of uh, the reason why I kind of like that side is because that's the side I see when I'm in the water. Like when, you know, when we're, when all of us, when we're hunting, right, you understand their behavior. Like how do they hunt? Like where are they hide? Like their behavior. And so when I travel places, right, I just, like I said, it keeps you humble because it's like, here I am. Uh, I'm in the tropics. Look, I mean, I know obviously what the fish are, but I don't 
really know their behavior and I like to know their behavior. It's like I can write a book and tell you how to go hunt um, sea bass, but you're really not going to know shit until you spend time in the water and realize that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, you could put information in a book that w- would give people, you know, um, a, a few a way, ways to help shape their observation skills. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. sometimes people don't know know what to look for until they've been pointed a few things out to look for. You know what I mean? Like it's like you look at some of these books with fish species and you see the colors and the patterns and then you get underwater and they look completely different. Or variations so and a, all that a, stuff. There's so many variations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, d- depending on their maturity and time of year or spawning status or whatever the hell it is. But, yeah, the coloration changes and then, you know, we lose color the further down the water column we go. So everything changes. I mean, Daniel Mann did that great video recently of the, uh, I think because he was saying. Coral yeah, trap. I was like, thank you. Yeah, like, yeah. what the hell is a coral? Is it because I've shot them and it's like someone's like, is that a Rory? Like they call it in Hawaii or a coral trout. I'm like, I don't know, dude. They look the same. I thought it was a coral trout. All the boys told me here is coral trout. Oh, it is a coral trout. It's just a type of coral trout, which is a type of Rory, which is a type, you know, I'm like, ah, uh, shit, mm-hmm. man. I don't know. I was just, it was good eating, you yeah. know? So, yeah. We were chatting a little bit about that. I was chatting about that last time with them as well. We were, we were, um, talking about maybe creating some sort of place where we could um, create a, a directory with um, footage or stuff underwater, and I think he's just started that on his own, so it's fantastic. Um, he's a yeah, he's a clever dude, old yeah, dad. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to do something like that on my on the on the my website too, where it was like a fish guide, like. I'll tell you everything I know, like this fish species that I've hunted personally. And like, this is what I've found works or this is, you know, and, um, and you could go on and on about it. And it's like, um, and then every, every area you go to could be totally different too, where like the fish should have different habits and different, you know? Yeah. yeah it's a good. Po- I started reading, um, Pip Van Royen's, um, guide to spearfishing South Africa and like, um, his book's probably one of the best I've read in terms of how it sort of sets it out and gets people to think about it. And he he even sort of talks a bit about how their behavior changes in different parts of South Africa. And it's like, well, what hope do the rest of us have of, you know, if, if we're 4,000 nautical miles away, you know, that same species of fish probably does everything different. You know what I mean? But um, there's certain things that you can, like when you start lo- looking and learning through another hunter's perspective, you can, it, it, it almost like it trains you to go, oh, that's what I meant to pay attention to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing, like just passing the knowledge and trying to say like, in general, this is what you should look for, you know? Like in general, this <laughs> yeah, is how yeah. you should uh, out, you know, rig up your gear for this species. Um and like we had numerous talks with everybody I know that is pretty uh, uh, well versed in shooting dog tooth tuna, especially big dogs, like bigger grade dog tooth. Um, and everybody has a totally different opinion, you know, like from Chris Coates, Brandon Weiler, yeah. like everybody has a different like, yeah, my buddy Paul Rodriguez from Hot Rod Spear Guns, same thing. Like they're all pretty much like they all have their own little tweak to it and they all land fish. So like. You know, I think it's, Mm -hmm. and and Chris kind of said it the best too. He was like, well, it could be different on my reef. (laughs) Like it could be different on this reef, not his reef, but like this reef. And it could be different on the other reef. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Well, while we're, while we're, while we're talking about memorable fish and stuff, let's, let's hear one of yours. Um, what's a, what's a, what's a fish hunt that really stands out for you? Um, 
Well, it's kind of like, you know, the biggest thing about the whole honey and fish, it, it's really not even, I mean, the fish is kind of the nice thing, but um, more importantly, it's like the scenario of how everything happens. And like, you're there with your boys. And so for me personally, recently, I would say it was the dog tooth that I shot. And like, um, and the reason why that was in, like special to me uh, was that I never thought that I would find myself in the area of the world where I was and with the type of people that I've met. Um, I was there for work, which is kind of funny. Like I was there for work, but after work, I'm spearing, you know, um, or surfing if there's waves. And I met some of the most solid friends of mine now. And, you know, we would go out, we all kind of learned, like I had a lot of blue water experience for the most part, but blue water experience in California, right? Which is different everywhere you go. <laughs> um, and so I kind of told them, like, shared some things with them that I learned, and then they shared some things with me. And so as a team, we kind of went out and started hunting these outer places and things like that. And um, I must have lost like 10 dog tooth, like, like, which is not, I'm not proud of that. I mean, definitely I screwed up where it's like, I took way, like way too far of a shot, even though I, I knew I could make the shot and my gun uh, would make the shot. Um, I just it's not a it's not a recipe for a accurate shot shooting at 25 feet away um hitting you know um but anyways that long story short i ended up shooting a um uh like a what is a 35 pound kilo or 35 kilo a 70 a 65 pound dog tooth at the end of the day right and like it's funny because mm. to me i never thought i would even have a shot at and i've landed other dog tooth too but that was the biggest one for me, other than like a 25 pounder or a 30 pounder, that was like definitely the one I'm proud of because what it took to get, um, those, that, that fish in the boat. And, um, also, uh, the, all the effort that went into it and all the planning that went into it and the sharks trying to deal with yeah, that shit. Yeah. And then like the failure learning to failure. And like, to me, um, you know, it was so funny because that same night, that same day, I think I had hit a, I talked to uh, another guy who was hunting for dogs in another part of the world because he had posted something about he was doing a rigging party at his house or something like. Okay. And I was like laughing because I was doing the same thing in my <laughs> uh, one, one, one apartment. It was the tides were right. The moon was right. Right. And then I landed that fish and I was so proud of it. I posted up. It was like, it might as well be a thousand pound, you know, tuna. It was like, yeah. Uh, Cause everything that went into it. And then I think Brandon, um, posted his 200 pound doggy, and I was like, This motherfucker, <laughs> yeah, it was like this upstage motherfucker. It's like, you know, it was like, yeah. Yay, oh, how come yours is so much bigger than mine, you know? Um, but uh, I think like I was chatting with this a little while ago too. It's like, um, a lot of the times, all we see from a person is them standing on the back of a boat holding up a big fish, and it's like people, people that don't spearfish sort of look at that and they think oh look at this trophy hunting dick or whatever but like that photo that we all go for with those special fish represents so much more to us than just standing there with a big fish like we're thinking about the people we went the planning that went into it the the special shots the things that didn't go right where you know and that picture tells that whole story you know that picture tells a thousand words well the spearfishing picture tells a thousand words that only us we, we understand you know yeah I mean? no exactly like um like my buddies um 
they're like the one drop spearfishing team or whatever the little team were little uh, on a team whatever group of guys or whatever um we're <laughs> we god dude we put so much time in and we like because we had lost so many dog tooth and we both were very like conscious as far as like um we don't want to start just killing shit and like screwing up we can't we got to increase this landing ratio because this is pretty fucked up you know <laughs> like you know what yeah. i mean like yeah 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 it's just stupid uh you can't sit there and, and yell sustainability and then just go like lose shit all the time i mean granted nothing was wasted i mean sharks got a lot of them but uh hmm. <laughs> which was ex- kind of wasted <laughs> yeah it's exciting you know? yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but uh yeah and so we sat down and like my friend mike uh and my buddy uh, rob like we came up with this like collaborative effort of like the roles everybody's going to take and it's kind of similar to the roles in that adreno uh spearfishing video like how to hunt dog tooth where it's like somebody's on the you know and it's true like everybody has their role and like i definitely could not have landed that fish if it wasn't for my buddies um you know I mean, maybe I, I don't care, dude. It's not about an ego. I, I'll take any help anybody wants to give me. Unless I'm shooting a world record, I don't care. It's To me, it's all about um, seeing the stoke or whatever you want to call it on my buddy's face and, and my face. And like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you watch a video and like my friend uh, Rob did this, he shot a 90 pound dog and, and the float went all the way down. The evolved float disappeared and it came back up. And it came up and that was the biggest dog anybody of us like i think had shot at that point um and he is screaming like a fucking little girl like yeah and it's like dude that's it right there that's why i don't do this for the picture of like the giant fish like that's cool to show your kids and stuff but like dude to see your buddy so amped like it's so awesome like i don't know it's just nice to share and all of that and like that's the whole reason why we do all this like to 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 eat fish and all of that, but like, it's better than me sitting in a bar drinking, I guess. Like, you know. <laughs> okay, so so your 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 dog tooth, right? So, sorry, where were you again, and 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 what time of day was so it? So I was in Micronesia, like, um, uh, yeah. I mean, people, everyone knows. Like, I, I was going to Guam for work for months on end, and that's another thing. It's kind of unique, right? You get you sit in somewhere for months and months and months. So a lot of it's opportunity. Um, so I was very fortunate to have the opportunity at the time. Um, and you know, we typically like, there's no secret there. It's like, you need good current, real good current. So like, I think it was low going to high. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I can't even remember now. Jeez. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried about the specific conditions that culminated in that doggy workup or whatever it was. But I mean, in terms of, so you guys were in the water, there was current running, you're in Guam. Um, tell us, so the two, who were the two guys you were in the water with and, and, um, and yeah, so, um, we had, uh, one of our good buddies who just started spearfishing too. He's a doctor, uh, MJ, (laughs) And uh, he's a super good dude, and, and we we're like trying to tell him, okay, you're gonna have the little gun, so like you can you can shoot uh, rainbow runners and 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 get some of the other stickers. Those are tasty. And then uh, two guys will have the big tuna guns for dog tooth, and then somebody be on the flasher and chumming, and like kind of on shark watch, right? And so it was myself, my buddy Mike was driving the boat, uh, his boat, and. Um, and uh, he's the one like that's the uh, I talk about sometimes like the um, he's the biologist, marine biologist, and professor 
So it's like I try to pick okay. his brain about the fish stuff because it's great to die with him because he'll kind of explain everything. Mm. Um, and uh, so my buddy Mike and then MJ and then my other friend um, uh, who's a, just a freak of a diver is Dan Cooper. Um, that guy has like a heart problem where his heart stops beating or goes super slow at some point. It's like I watched this dude just sit on the water for like three and a half minutes and like <laughs> – I was like, is he dead? Like, I don't know. Like, what point? And he comes up, you know, just super mellow. And I was like, dude, you got to let me know. Like, you know, another time we were scouting something out, he dives down. He's like, hey, my line got stuck on something. You know, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, you're at 100 feet, dude. You know, he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, fucking asshole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so anyways, like, and. Uh, uh, so my, you're in the water with these dudes? Yeah, my buddy uh, Brennan, too. He was the, I'm pretty sure that was correct. I can't remember, but that was the crew. I'm pretty sure. And. Uh, yeah, so I shot the fish. Uh, hang on, yeah, hang on, hang on, oh, hang on. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so, Chaman, tell me the I know you've told. I know you've told told this story like ten times, but I, I want I want to know the the full deal. Yeah. So, was it a single fish? Was it a big no, school? It's funny Were it's you like, over structure? How deep was the water? Yeah, it's funny because it's like a sixty five pound fish, right? It's not like you know. Nah, man, no, 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 no! Don't do that to yourself. It's a special fish, man. Yeah, it's very so. special to me. So, yeah, uh, we, you know, found which way the current was going, right? So we obviously go up current. We put in the blue water, and then you drift, and the, you know, you can see the fish species show up. And usually, if you see the rainbow runners, you're like, okay, cool. There was some action. Rainbow runners, and here comes the sharks. Of course, okay. Uh, then you start seeing like one single doggy. We saw one. Like you'll see him. Um, you can always tell because they got that little white spot on their like on their fins and it looks like a little torpedo and you see like we saw like I think a 20 and I could be meshing the stories we were going out every weekend like uh, like a 25 pounder or whatever and then uh, you know then you look down and uh, we get picked up again that was the only one we saw and we were up on the bank at this point and there was a lot of sharks so I was like don't shoot anything yet we go back up drop back in again and then all of a sudden it's like uh, I see this you know decent size and it's hard to tell in the blue water i mean until you see like a gigantic one where you're like oh you know and i don't mean gigantic like 80 pounds i mean like 200 pounds like yeah 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 or like proper like holy shit that's up you know um so uh yeah so i saw this like solid doggy and i was like uh and i look over to make sure anybody see this anybody good 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 like you know because you don't just want to start diving down and stuff and shoot because you have two guys converge like Again, make all these mistakes myself, but you just want to communicate a lot. Um, so everybody's looking like they're doing their thing. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go. And so I drop down and um, kind of, you know, chase. I don't want to say chase after, but chase straight down and try to, you know, it's that cat and mouse game with a fish where you're like, I'm hunting you and I'm not hunting you. I'm hunting you and I'm not hunting you. I'm not <laughs> looking at you. you know? Yeah. And yeah. then um, he kind of came. He came by me probably like 20 feet. It was not close and I got lucky. And um, this kind of leads me into making my own gear and all that stuff because I made my own gun, my own float line, my own floats. Um, but I knew and that confidence, I knew like I can hit that fish, no problem. And I know it'll penetrate. Um, and I hit it and this, you know, everything penetrated. Everything went good and that thing took off. And we had one of those um, dive, diver R, um, Dive are those giant like doggy stopper floats. Yep, yeah. Yep. And that thing took almost took that thing down. Like it was like 200 pounds positive, I think, or something like that. I don't know. 
like a 70 pound fish, whatever it was at the time, took that thing and like pinned it down. And, and I saw my bungee flow line that I had, that I made like get stretched to like pencil thin, you know. But I had two two thousand pound Dyneema core. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. And I braid it, and I braid it, and I back braid it, and um, and then um, uh, anyways, like yeah, and, I, and it and it just and it was like hopefully everything holds, you know. But I, what I noticed when I shot it, you know, the the big fish, the bigger fish, like bigger than fifty pounds, they always try to be cool, like oh I'm not really wounded sometimes, and they try to swim off fast without getting the, the attention of too many sharks. But what I noticed with the bigger dogs, like. What my buddies and I kind of noticed with the bigger dogs, the sharks, certain sharks won't mess with them. Like depending on where you're at now too, this could be totally different on another reef. Yeah. But like the big, like the big dog tooth, the sharks will stay away from them. Um, I've seen silver tips come and like, you know, bite a 50 pound dog in half. But like as far as like the majority of the gray reefs, like they won't mess with them. So, and I saw, I shot him and I saw a gray reef look at him. Uh, and, and kind of leave and i was like okay so the shark thing would be good should be good and then of course they're so smart i mean they go right for the ledge and i was like oh please you know um and i had cable um because of the sharks and the and the t- and the you know tendency for them to run along the bottom um and uh yeah he he did that initial run and it was super impressive and everybody's cheering like little girls you know um, just that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <I had laughs> including to myself. Yeah, and then I uh, started trying to put pressure, like uh, just let the float do the thing, you know, do its thing. And then the fish, what I noticed with um, dog tooth is they do that initial run. It's incredible. It's like second to none. And then they get worn out pretty quick. And once you start bringing them up, um, it's usually over. They have a pretty large swim bladder, I, could, I guess, compared to most fish. So once you start to pull them up and they can't regulate that swim bladder, they're kind of much toast, you know where like a bluefin tuna will drown you like you don't like that fish will be fighting you to the end um but it may not be as that um that initial run that a dog does is insane um so basically what i noticed was that my i was pulling it up trying to get it up and i was taking up line and all that and it was good but i was like breathing like you know i had no breath i mean i dove pretty you know i dove like down the 65 feet or whatever shoot it but it came up and it was just like uh you know and my buddy dan he actually went down and put the second shot in it um and uh i think he actually missed the second shot maybe he, anyways he went down and put the second shot he ended up putting the second shot in it it's just, it's just a clusterfuck you know how it is like yeah yeah, yeah. nothing looks cool like yeah, it's yeah, just I a know. shit show yeah yeah and, and you try so, to piece together the story after and you've all got slightly different recollections as well oh yeah 100 yeah 100 so um, yeah, hundred percent. And so Dan ended up, uh, putting a second shot in it and then I just pulled it up and he grabbed out his knife and grabbed it and just stabbed it in the head. And so I have this on my camera, which is pretty cool, this big dog tooth head. And then Dan stabbed it in the head and, uh, <laughs> everybody thought that was me. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's my friend stabbing my fish in the head. Like, well, was you really your friend? I'm like, dude, I don't care. Uh, I shot it, hunted it, shot it, whatever. Um, and then, uh, you know, brought it over the boat and threw it in. Um, and it was just, it was really special to me because I got to do it with all my buddies. And, um, and again, I, I, I feel like I coach high school football too. And it's like, I feel like when you do something together as a unit, it's just so much more special, you know, when everybody does 
Yeah, man. Because I couldn't have done it without them, you know? I mean, it'd be nice, yeah, to say I did it without them. I guess I could have, but it wouldn't have been as special, you know? So that was the big dog. I think there's a, the culture of, um, you know, individually dispatching and catching your fish is brought about by the world record sort of rules and stuff, and there's a fair bit of stuff in the fair, fair chase stuff, I guess, about it. But I honestly reckon all of those blue water fish are collaborative efforts. So, you, like learning how to celebrate, you know, team effort is is friggin' awesome. I, I I love it. I reckon it's one of the coolest things about spearfishing. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, why do you do it? That's the question. You know, why why do you spearfish? Do you spearfish so you can put photos of big fish and praise yourself? Great, dude. Like, hear that? Nobody gives a shit. That's what I always say. Like, great. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, cool. You're still an asshole, or whatever. I don't know, dude. You know what I mean? Like, come on. If, if that's all, if that's all it is, then then I I, I agree with you, man. Yeah, um, and that's and but, that's uh, not shitting on anybody that's into that. I'm just saying, like, mm, you know, uh, nah, shit all over. Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, um, no, that's cool. Um, so I mean, you've you've got this dog tooth up. It's it, it's you know your most celebrated fish to date um did you guys sashimi that up what was the what was the what was the evening celebrations after that that day um so we uh you know we got back to the boat ramp pulled the boat uh parked it in my buddy mike's yard and then he's got a fish table right on the beach and while i'm there terrible and uh that sounds awful yeah it's absurd yeah it's absurd like and we filleted it right there and we were eating it right there you know and like um just giant chunks you know so much tuna man so much meat on those things um and yeah i was just sitting there eating it with my buddies and then his wife and he are like really good cooks his wife is like a really good cook too and so they were trying to we've been trying to figure out ways to like prepare dog tooth because there's a lot of people that don't i guess really eat dog tooth um and i think some of it is because Dog tooth are kind of solo predators. They kind of just hang. They're not schooling tuna. So they can't just go massively swoop up a big school of dog tooth, you know. You got to individually fish for them. So, like, they may not get them. Depending on the type of hunting or type of fishing, commercial fishing they do locally, they may not really have access to them all that much. Oh, yeah, okay. But I. Yeah, I get what you mean. I like dog tooth, though. Yeah. Mm. I. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so, yeah, that's. That's my story. Cool, man. I have a good story about a fish that I didn't even shoot. That's pretty damn memorable. Like, you know, to me. Hook me up. And it's the first time I got vortexed by like 200 pound tuna. Um, like first time diving for tuna and the first drop and it was schooled by 200 pound tuna. And like, that's that shit that was like, to me is like, wow, this is why I do this. This is like National Geographic and like not that many people have seen this. And I know people that have, and like uh, we, the people that have, where well, there's not that many. There's probably like a th- I don't know how many people there are. <laughs> there's not that many as far as population goes, right? And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a first time hunting tuna, and I blew the shot. I shot too low, and I watched this big tank of a fish just like turn away and swim away, and I just like could have cried underwater. And uh, my buddies, um, 
Do you feel that the fish looked at you with disgust? Yes. Like, and the reason why I say that is because <laughs> nothing was fast. Like, I missed him, and he just kind of slowly went like, dumbass, and just left. Yeah. I was like, this fuck. I've had that feeling, too. That's why I asked. Yeah. I was like, god damn it. Like, yeah. And so, I came up, and I, my buddy had a turn. My buddy, uh, Javier, had another turn, and he shot one. And I know it was 200 because he shot a 210 pounder. That was how big his was. But at the same time, we all jumped in. Like my job was to try to film it. And then I had to put a tail around the thing and like drag it up. And like he was diving down and we, you know, we had a few beers too. So that was kind of interesting. Like (laughs) he's doing, he's a Hawaiian, he's a nutty diver too. He's like 88 feet drunk as shit shooting a tuna. And I was like, what what he's like yeah i had like 12 beers he's like oh my god dude like okay um and i'm not really that big of a drinker but like yeah he told me that afterwards like okay uh so anyways he you know anyways we got that fish on and that was like my exposure to like really hunting big pelagics because we just never got them here so and i never really traveled too much with that intention like i did my honeymoon in fiji and back then i had no idea what an idiot i was for not you know, bringing all my stuff. It sounds like you're, you know, you're a half decent freediver. Um, one thing I've been getting curious about lately is, is how fast people's dive response, that mammalian dive reflex kicks in. Like, do you get in the water? How, how long do you, do you think it takes? How many dives before you start diving um, comfortably in your, your body or you, you know, do you know what I mean? Like you can feel when it, it's like when it clicks in, you know, and some days it doesn't at all when you just feel like shit all day. But when it clicks in and, it, and you're in that, you're riding that sweet spot and you're diving good, how long for you does that take most days when you go diving? Uh, for me, it took about 20 years. <laughs> I'll tell you why. No, because I had, like I said, in California, you don't really have to be that great of a diver for the most part. Like you can, everything I was hunting was shallow, right? And in the middle, for the most part, like, you know, or the kelp, the kelp's 60 feet. And you can pretty much dive that over just rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing it. You know, you don't really need a dive class. I ended up taking a dive class. I took an advanced dive class. And um, everybody was telling me about like free diving and this like spiritual thing they have going on when they're diving. I'm like, dude, I've never fucking had. I don't just relax and enjoy the dive. Like I don't enjoy this fucking dive. The, The free diving was just a way to get down to shoot fish. I like hunting. I am not a free diver. And so... I had to change my mentality of this like football mentality or like this meathead mentality of like, I'm going to go to hundred feet today and nothing's going to stop me. And what I found, which is interesting about freediving is like, it's the opposite. You can't like, I'm already a naturally uh, competitive person anyways. No. Uh, and I'm really, <laughs> I'm really competitive against myself. Yeah. You know yeah what I mean? get like it. more than anything. Right. Yeah. Um, so what I noticed was like, I had to like, just stop giving a shit, like let go. But I train, and then when I just let go, um, everything was easier. So for me, it's more about to get that. uh, What I found was um, one day I was we were diving, and all of a sudden, like everything was easy, and I was going to 75 feet, and I was like, "Wow, this is like okay." Like, what did I do? I don't know. Like to be honest, I don't really know. And then so what I found was, and then coming back, this is when I was gone. It was clear and warm and all nice. And then coming back here. What I found was like um, a lot of self-talk. Like for me, in order to get my dive reflex to even kick in, I have to be relaxed to begin with. And so um, 
what I notice is like, to answer your question, I guess, it's like usually three dives, three or four dives of really, um, okay, and I'll know in those first couple of dives, like that first dive to 30 feet is like, oh my God, I'm spazzing out. Like you've been diving your whole life and you're spazzing out. Give me a break, dude. Like, you know, it's literally like, and you get like those depth triggers, right? Like at 60 feet, I'll get like depth triggers where I'll start to like, mm, 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 or whatever. Chicken, like, and it's like, yeah. And I found myself, when it happens, I just talk to myself the whole time. I go, dude, calm down. You're fine. You're fine. And then once I do that, after that first, like, initial, like, I don't know, you know, first dive is like 30 feet. Uh, usually I'll just go down just to, like, even if it's mid water, I'll just go down to, like, try to get my lungs stretched out and everything good and get used to it and start those dives early. And then the next one will be like 60 feet. And then, depending if I'm hunting at 60 feet or deeper, which I try to stay about 60 feet, to be honest with you, like I can go deeper, but like, I'm, I like, I know I can sustain that for a while. I'll just talk to myself a lot. And it, and I will know time on the surface, right? You, I don't know if you've noticed when you breathe up two minutes feels like 20 minutes, you know? And, and but what I have found through training exclusively free diving uh, when I was in Guam, you know, a few days a week is that it's all about that surface interval and relaxing and just letting go. And then, um, and then, you know what, there's also the fact that maybe it's just a bad day. It is the most bizarre shit ever to me is that you do, your body is weird because it does have those bad days, but I've just noticed like three times and what my plan is to do three times and then I'll start pushing it. Um, but it, in order to get to that point, I've got to talk myself into that. Yeah, cool. There's 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 a few differences I think. Like because like I train with some freediving guys, and the biggest swim they do of a night will always be their first one, and they pretty much um, because the first dive of their night is the most. It's the most oxygenated your blood will ever be because after you start doing any sort of breath hold stuff there's a slight depletion, doesn't matter how long you recharge for. And obviously the longer the surface interval, the more it'll recharge back as close to 100 as possible. However, it'll never be there as as much as it is in that first sort of dive. So they always do their first big swim. And I started sort of thinking and having that expectation of myself. Like, um, But spearfishing's not the same. It's not the same at all. It's like, because there's a mindset and there's a state that we get ourselves into to hunt effectively. And part of it's being relaxed, I think. And the other part of it is sort of like you say, like this self-talk thing, like talking yourself into, no, 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 this is my place. This is, I'm comfortable here. And this is what I do every week. And this is, you know, this is, this is comfortable for me. I mean, this is good. This is my zone. And there's, there is an element of that self-talk. I don't know if it's subconscious for a lot of people, but it's something that I've become a bit more conscious of recently. Yeah. Um, that's a good point though. I mean, spearfishing is definitely not freediving. Um, and you can try to blend the two in as best as you can, like even just vertical drops, where a lot of times we're spearfishing, we're like trying to look around on our way down. We don't want to just fall into the Zen state and go down and miss half the fish in the water column or drop right on top of a fish. Or like in my mm. case, I knew I was doing a drop to like 85 feet or I thought it was 85 feet. Um, and I swam right into the fucking bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Almost yeah. knocked myself out and like, yeah, that's a great story too. My buddies are watching me. We're in a, we're in an island and it's most ridiculous viz. 
and uh, there was like a, a two little like a little valley at 85 feet, and then there was two little hills about 60. And so I swam up current and started my breathe up, and then I swam down. And I was swimming down. And I knew like 85 feet is like a deep dive for me to be honest. Like, okay, I gotta get my shit together and dive, and I felt fine. But uh, yeah, so I just got in this super zen like it was perfect, and I was like, dude, I feel so good. I could go to 100. And my buddies are watching me just finning down and like, okay, Brett, okay, Brett, okay, Brett. And I had a camera on and just wham straight into the, <laughs> the bottom because I missed the valley and hit the hill part, I guess. And then I, I was like, oh, shit. And I looked around and I see all these little like reef fish like, what a dumbass. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> like eating all the shit that I just knocked up. But fortunately, I had my camera yeah. on. So then I was like, well, I'm here. Might as well just stay on the bottom and try to call some fish in. I think it, it's – I was also thinking about this too the other day. It depends on what, what we're hunting because there's the dive bomb where we sort of try and get directly over here. Like it works really well with like parrot and maybe sheep's heads the same, but you can drop straight down on top of them, keep a minimal profile and then sort of scone them from a, a top-down sort of shot. But then some of the other hunting we do is we want to be right on the bottom, you know, you know, using some cover or something like that. But then some of the stuff we do is mid-water where, you know, you're hunting or looking around for maybe yellow. Or, or you know king mackerel and you're um well not in your part of the world are they but around the around the other side of the coast but um but you know so very much depends on where you are and what you're hunting i guess but the zen freediving stuff works i think if you are bottom hunting but you've got to <laughs> remember when to pull yeah. up <laughs> yeah it was good i was in a zen like state until i got you know punched in the head by a reef it was pretty awesome it was best because it was so clear so my buddies could just watch me clear as day just boom. Yeah, cool. And they were laughing their ass. They're like, man, I'm just impressed you stayed down there and like stuck with the dive. I'm like, well, I'm just <laughs> down there. Fuck it. I'm here now. Yeah. yeah. So Just with the bump on my head. So I yeah, think cool. everybody knew I was there too, though. That was the problem. Upgrading the composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey. And you want to make a smart investment. So I'm going to suggest investing your moolah and penetrator fins. These fins have got a long-lasting performance. They've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. Their before and after sales service is absolutely phenomenal. These fins are being worn by champions all over the world. Check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only. Use the code NoobSparrow to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. I love hearing spearfishing adventures. I love hearing about the challenges, the amazing moments, the special people, the fish, the crew, the prep, the highlights. I love the whole lot. And there's another place where you can hear and read about people's spearfishing adventures, people just like you. Check it out, spearingmagazine.com. Every story is full of those stoke moments that fuel the fire and get you excited for your next spearfishing adventure. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Hey, Veterans Vault, man, let's get into it. I had yeah. um, I pumped this up on the, the Noob Sparrow community on Facebook, and I'll link that up in today's show notes. So if people go to noobsparrow.com forward slash, let's do Spear Factor, because that's the name of your podcast, and then um, and then I'll, I'll link up um, the Noob Sparrow community on there. But we had a ton of questions about um, diving in dirty water, and I think this is a, it's a frequent issue for people in nearly every part of the world. You know, like everyone looks at everyone else's part of the world and thinks, thinks the water's cleaner there but quite often we're all dealing with some form of shit fizz yeah it just depends on the tide or you know 
I've seen it in tropics where it's like, here comes a cloud of shit or whatever it is, you know, clouded, mm-hmm. you know, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like I was saying about diving, um, as a contractor for the Navy and the dolphins, like most of the stuff they did was like post world war to clean up and in the shallow water region. Um, so where there's a lot of surge sand and then in uh, bays, estuaries, muddy bottoms where you could stick your arm on all in the mud, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and over doing that over like, you know, like I was saying like 12 years, like there was some stuff that I, I guess I don't, I never realized. I, I guess I forgot that is not secondhand nature to a lot of people. Mm. And we yeah, had, yeah. A, we actually had a recent, um, a death here. One of the, uh, the divers, um, uh, here in California died. And, and um, I, and I, I don't, I don't think it was, pre- I don't know if, you know, I guess they're all preven- preventable, but, um, there was just some rules that like I try to follow to help minimize entanglement. Right especially with no visibility because you don't have the option of knowing what's really going on. So like for me, the first thing I do, like, right. When you talk about gear and you're diving and no visibility, like the first thing you have to deal with is the free diving part, you know, cause everybody's like, I can't dive. And so you got to know your water depth you're actually diving in to begin with. And what I learned through doing it over time is that you got to listen to your body. Like I know at 22 feet, I have to clear my ears. So I don't even need, you know, I can look at my watch on the way down for sure. But more importantly, I know like if I'm going to 30 feet um, and uh, I just know that, okay, 22 feet, so it should be coming up on the bottom. And if it's so bad, I can't see my watch, then I probably shouldn't be hunting there either way. But like, or the classic thing, which happens is for new guys, um, if you're driving a silty bottom or whatever it is, you come thunder gunning down there and you hit the bottom and then there goes your viz. Like every time a new guy, you're like, dude, you just, you just totally blacked us out right now. So what I like to do is I get to like, probably I start to slow down obviously right before I hit the bottom. If I know it's 30 feet, I'll actually hover like five feet off the bottom and let my eyes adjust slightly to the, cause it's usually a little darker, you know? And then, so I'll sit there and I'll hover and I'll look where I'm going to land so that I don't land on like a halibut and spook or land on the ground and spook everything. Or if it's really, really, or, you know, you never know what you're going to land on. Um, uh, there's plenty of stuff to get stung by too. Um, or, and, and I'll just kind of float down really, really gently so that when I land, I just kind of like put my hand on the bottom and um, I actually keep my fins arced up, like facing the top. So that when I kick, it's not all washing out everything behind me and creating a big cloud. And so I'll literally like either crawl my fingertips real slow or I'll just sit there and look around uh, depending on what I'm hunting. But the bottom line is when you start to go down, you don't want to go down. um, You can go down fast in the beginning, but at the last part, stop like just over. Look at what you're doing. Let your eyes adjust. So when that you land on the bottom, you're ready to go. You're ready to hunt. So you, you go down and for you, it's you, you equalizing and that's your trigger and then you start to level out and then you just sort of let yourself sort Float of down. sink down. On, yeah. Yeah. So, so waiting would be an issue too. You'd have to, you'd have to have your waiting pretty good. Yeah. That's a big thing too. Um, yeah. You don't want to fall like a rock and then just, you know, and then that's, it's the same way. And I guess for anything really, uh, you know, I try to be slightly, uh, if I'm, hunting shallow I want to be a little bit negative but uh you know 
Um, but yeah, I don't want to be so heavy that I just fall like a rock and create a big, I should be in control the whole time. Even if it's me feathering with my hands to create less like disturbance with my fins. Because, you know, fins are so strong nowadays, too, and they just, you know. I was talking with a with a Rochelle Potter in, in, from New Zealand a little while ago, and she was talking, she got quite into detail about it, developing those really fine controls for how you fin when you're on the bottom and hunting. And, I mean, you're talking about it, too. It's like pulling yourself along with your fingertips and, you know, like. Flick your wrist, uh, your ankles. You're not really doing kicks. You're just kind of fluttering your ankles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which which freedivers would look at and go, oh, your finning oh, technique terrible, is no yeah. good, but terrible. <laughs> but 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 it but it's it's a hunting finning technique. Right. It's not a freediving finning technique. It's you're not doing it for efficiency. You're doing it for sort of stealth and um and and, and an application to not spook the wildlife around you. I guess. Yeah, and and that's just it because you can't see, so you don't want to just run up on anything either. So everything's got to be super slow. Yeah, that that's just that's just like. I, if I do move, when I do move, I literally just kind of flick my feet and uh, at like a 45 degree angle. So the majority of the, you know, and that keeps me on the ground and, but it keeps me kind of controlled and, and keeps the cloud of crap from disturbing the visibility. Hmm. Hmm. And then now, like you're talking about, depending on your viz too, like obviously I'm going to use a shorter gun, um, but also the, I'll use a single wrap. Like a lot of guys do this, like you don't need a, a, a lot of shooting line if you only have five feet of viz or, or, or 10 feet of viz, you don't need that much shooting line. All it is is gonna entangle easier um, with that and create more of a problem. And um, uh, most of the fish you shoot, you know, in that visibility is gonna be right where you can see. They're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna shoot anything you can't see. Mm. Um, so single, single rep? Yeah, I just keep, minimum right like everything in that in that condition is minimum uh yeah exactly single wrap and um what about the spear gun itself would you use like a like um duncan henderson asked what like sizes and types and 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 brian from fenton from your area i think he was saying like he uses a 60 centimeter rob allen um pipe gunning and he starts hole hunting i mean uh, duncan's asked if you use a mid handle i've never seen a middle handle pipe gun that might be interesting but um, oh, they have them yeah. mid handle <laughs> yeah. yeah um what, what what are your gun recommendations for really like shitty viz i'm guessing we're talking what is shitty viz too six foot yeah so for me i mean like i yeah uh so if I'm dropping on a spot that I know has fish, I'll hunt it in three feet of his if I know it has fish. Okay. You know what I mean? But usually like, uh, yeah, five feet of his. And then, you know, for the most part, um, I always said like I used to get paid to dive in this shit. So I wouldn't dive it all that often. <laughs> but like it yeah. depends on the situation. Um, you know, we would kind of mix business and pleasure quite often at work. So, yeah, a five feet of his is, you know, fairly decent actually for work um but like yeah like you said like so i would so if you're shooting and it depends on the fish you're shooting like if you're shooting a you want to be able to wield this thing around like and no problem like i have a 44 inch um two band like um seven point seven millimeter shaft um and i like that thing because i can literally just go and and it's got enough power to shoot just about anything and go through it but if I'm hunting like grouper or, you know, you might want to go for a, a three band, um, shorts, 
stubby thing where you're looking in a hole and you just want to have, it's kind of like, I don't know if you hunt at all or, or like with guns, um, just real guns, like you've got a different tool for every kind of animal you're hunting for every situation. Yeah. Yeah. And the same with the military. I just, yeah. I just use a 308 for everything. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> Seven mag, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so for the longest time, I did that too. I made my own gun like 20 mm. years ago, and mm. I was like, I could kill mm. anything with it, you know? So I was like destroying these reef fish with this like tuna gun. Um, but uh, that's another story. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it shot like a laser, so it worked. Um, but the big thing is, yeah, like um, – Basically, you want to be able to maneuver. Like, mid-handles are actually great for that. Like, a lot of people, like, you know, we could bag on Californians all day with our giant wooden guns. And, I mean, it's hilarious because everybody I talk to everywhere else around the world, even in Hawaii, like, you Californians, you goddamn planks, wooden planks. I was literally just having this conversation. I listened to your interview with Chris and you guys talk about it as well. But I'll say this, I went down for some gun testing a little while ago and um, I had three pipe guns and I was using them to shoot um, a, a square target or whatever and I've shot my three pipe guns. These are my, two of them are my regular guns and they were okay, they were pretty good. And then I picked up a big Abelin, um timber gun and it's a 120 and I, I blasted this thing uh, pinpoint at five meters. And that was the first time I ever fired that gun. And I was just like, holy shit, this is awesome. So there's something to be said for those big timber guns. I don't know. Sometimes they're just, it's very much pre personal preference, but there's something nice about having a big solid platform. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I didn't know any better. That's the way my buddy kind of mentored me and shot me, told me, he was like, Hey, you know, I think I told you about it. Like you probably heard it was like, Hey, if we see a hundred pound white sea bass, it's It's toast. Like we're not going to have any problems, anything that swims in front of us. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but like, yeah. So you're shooting much bigger shafts, much powerful guns. You need a lot of weight to offset that. Otherwise you're going to be, your accuracy issues are going to be there. So I don't know how I would love to know, like every culture, including Southern California of Spiros has like, you know, spear fishermen have their own like reason why things developed. And like Mark Healy kind of touched upon it with like the Tahitians and the Hawaiians. Yeah. yeah. And that was the coolest thing to me. It was like, dude, son of a bitch. Like, that's really cool. Cause I'd love to know the history and it's probably just in California is what we had available and it's what worked. So nobody, you know, like an animal training, we call it win, stay, lose, shift. We were winning, so why would we change anything, you know? Um, but it's, oh, walk, walk me through that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, so like animal training, right? So it's just basic psychology. So it's called win, win, stay, lose, shift. So if you're winning at something, right, it's like um, you're not going to change anything. But if you lose. Oh, I'm talking about. Yeah, then you shift your behavior, right? Yeah, yeah. Adapt just that basic adaptation. It's like if it, if something's ain't broke, don't fix it. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's same thing. So I mean, be honest, like animal training, all that stuff's so basic. I mean, it's got to be for animals to understand it. You know, I mean, for the most part, mm -hmm. like. Um, so yeah, so um, as far as a gun, right? Short, something that doesn't have a lot of kick, depending on what you're hunting. Because if you're looking at holes and you got a bent wrist, you don't want to break your wrist by like firing a cannon. You know what I mean? So that's one thing in a single wrap. And then um, obviously like here's a big one too is knives. So guys like to carry knives and they put it on their arms or they put it on their legs and their belt or whatever. If I'm diving in no viz, 
I'll put my leg inside my calf, strap it to my calf on the inside. Oh, yeah. And the reason why is so that any line that's coming doesn't get snagged on that between the, the, the knife and your leg. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and it's like every time, like Spectra is just like magnet. Like, so um, we we would have dudes tangled up all the time. Like, and so that was kind of one of the things we, we also, and because at the time we were also diving with fins with the straps, we did it where we took the straps where they weren't going on the outside, where the flap was on the outside. We did it the other way, so the flaps on the inside, so it wouldn't foul up. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just those things. Oh, when you with scuba and stuff using yeah um, closed heel foot pockets, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, or open heel, yeah. But the knife on the inside is huge, and the knife on the arm is not the smartest idea, just in case you happen to get the one hand pinned or for whatever reason uh, immobilized, you can't use that arm. Then you can't grab your knife off your own arm. You know what I mean? So, mm. you know, some people say two knives, like, no, my own person, like do whatever you want to do. But like, for me, I don't need two knives. That's one more thing to get snagged on something mm-hmm. either. And the thing with no viz, right? You could be talking about fishing line, monofilament, old line, lobster traps, kelp, whatever. Like you could get snagged and cause a problem. Your own shooting line, you know, float line, whatever. Mm. Ha- have you heard that triangle of access thing with knives? So I don't know if you've heard it. Some of the guys say that, like, you have this triangle on your body. So basically, like, your knife is somewhere within this triangle of access, so either both hands can reach it. Like, even if you're all wrapped up, your hands can supposedly get to it. Um, have you heard that? I mean... No, that sounds... How would you mount it, like, in your chest or, like, on a... Yeah, or, or somewhere so that both hands can reach it easily. So if it's on your belt, then it's sort of in a, in a you know, relatively central point. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen anything mounted up here on the chest, but I'm guessing, it's, you know, mid body somewhere that's easily able to be grabbed by both hands. Yeah, because if sense. one hand's trapped, then you've got to grab it with your other hand. Right. And then if if, if your leg's trapped somehow, then you, sometimes it is difficult to get down and grab it. But these are very rare scenarios. But I guess it happens. Yeah, I guess you, like anything, right? You try to plan for the worst. Like I've had it with my surfing, where when I was surfing in the the leash got tangled around a coral head and the current was real strong and I was going to drown in like two feet of water. I was like, are you kidding me? That sounds fun. Yeah. I got a really good picture of it. Like, it's like, Hey, my last moments. And, um, on video, it's kind of funny, but I couldn't reach up, like do a sit up to like grab my ankle and free it because the water was so strong. Hmm. And, uh, I thought originally like, I'll just hang out here and just wait for the current to stop. Um, cause it was just sets of waves and, it didn't let up and I timed it. It was like 45, 42 seconds of me just sitting like three feet of water. And I got up, I finally, I finally was like, okay, um, yeah, I'm not going to go out like this. And so I ended up being able to finally grab, like position myself to grab my leash and let it go. And then, um, all of that, but crazy. But yeah. So I try to actually put my, um, my knife pretty high on my calf, you know, not down by my ankle, like really high. Um, okay. And if I do put it on my belt, and I and I typically do put it on my belt actually, because um, I try not to dive in bad vis anymore, um, is I'll put it so that it's on the inside of my hip, not not blocking me from kicking or bending over when I do my dive, but just enough. Yeah, yeah, that's the other. Yeah, just enough on the inside where it's not sticking out, you know. 
I um I bought one of those hex wetsuits. Um, but unfortunately, Warren's no longer making them. But um, the one of the things I love about those suits is the integrated knife pocket. Yes, like um, super easy to access, but like. It just tucks everything away. You don't have to worry about straps or bullshit. It's perfect. Um, like you say, if, if you put it on your weight belt and it's central body, when you bend to duck dive, um, the knife can sometimes, you know, Hit stab your into either yeah. your stomach or your nuts. Yeah. And um, so there, there are a few yeah, things to think about, I think, with knives. So it's, well, yeah, yeah. And then there's the other thing, right? After you stab a fish and you're trying to put your knife back, you want to stab yeah. your artery, like if you stick it in your leg. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or, or your dick. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Like if it's mounted there. Like, yeah, I'm not oh, doing that. Nah. Yeah. I'll bleed out before You've got that. three kids. That's enough. So you could probably do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of ship has sailed too. I mean, uh, yeah. Just, just a self-vasectomy. Yeah, it's already happened. So who gives a shit at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good time. Yeah. It's only for weeing out of anyway, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, the, one of the other boys had a good question. Um Todd, he says, what about a buddy system? Yeah, I was going to just get to that because I remember reading that. Um, and that's a that's a good question. So because uh, it's, you know, everybody's like, die with a buddy, die with a buddy. Yeah, yeah. So when we would like, for us, like scuba diving wise, we would do single diver because they're like, dude, you have no visibility and their surge taking a tank upside of the head is like more of a hazard. And your buddy can't really do much for you if he can't see or has no idea so we would do single diver, but like for us spearfishing and free diving, when you're dealing with uh, low vis, and the other thing is when you're doing buddy system too, half the time you scare all the fish. Like I see more fish by myself, um, but there's a way to dive truly by yourself with a buddy. And one way to do is like, you know, we do kind of like the one up one down thing, but um, uh, you're not gonna, as soon as your buddy drops, you're not gonna know where he's at, right? So you just talk beforehand, like, hey, I'm gonna. You know, what's your average, do- like, so I'll just be, spe- after two minutes, dude, if I don't see you, I'm dropping down and getting you or whatever. Um, so what you can do is like, you, I obviously give them uh, a little bit of, uh, we're diving in kelp beds usually. So, you know, you can see a stock, uh, kelp stock. So you have kind of a pinpoint, but I give them a lot of space because A, I don't want to take a, you know, a spear in there. And then the other thing is, um, so he drops down and uh, I don't know where he's coming up at. So for the guy on the surface, don't have your gun pointed straight down, right? So he doesn't swim up into your gun, right? And then the guy coming up, don't have your gun pointed straight up. Like, I don't know if people do that, but like, I, you know, I, uh, some people will have it at the ready, like just in case of sea bass or something, but like in that viz, I at least have it pointed at a 45 degree angle or somewhere where you're not going to come up and, and actually impale your buddy on the way up. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, or hit hmm. and fire or something. Uh, so like the biggest thing that I notice is like just communicate and go, hey, and then check on each other. So we would go in the kelp probably like honestly 30 feet from each other and he would drop. And I'd be sitting there on the surface and he comes up. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to drop and I'll drop. And then we just kind of do that leapfrogging through the kelp bed. And we know, you know, obviously too, um, we know where each other's at and you can hear the gunfire and then go over and assist but yeah that's the biggest thing i don't know i'm not sure is any specifically like else but that's literally what we do it's it's pretty simple and it's minimum like minimally invasive i guess you could say right i think that's practical and it's and it's a bit more honest than some of the other 
rigid buddy protocols we try and adapt because you've got to give the other guy room to hunt as well. And if you're right over top of him, like we tell people to do, which, and I actually agree with it when you're in deeper water, but if you're in 30 or 40 feet of water, the fish can hear what you're doing on the surface. If your buddy's directly overhead of you and you're trying to hunt, on the bottom you i'm sorry you're you are disrupting the fish around them so you've got to give them room one thing you can do is if the water's clean enough is you can swim up towards them as they are ascending but in dirty water i think and 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 in relatively shallow depths if um and it's provided you're sticking with your bottom times i guess that that's a workable and and practical system yeah 100 percent. because if you're hunting sea bass um and there's two people kicking around and and Usually those fish are at the first, you know, like right above the thermocline. So if you're there and somebody else is there, it's just doubling the chances you're not going to see anything or you're going to spook everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the one up, one down. And like you said, when you're dealing with depth, that's when we kind of flip the switch. Like when I go past, let's say 50 or 60, that's when I'll be like, Hey, uh, I'm going to drop here. Just stay over me. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess I want to say you can even put a line down necessarily depending on where you're going or where you're trying to hunt. If you're trying to hunt a certain reef, have that as a reference point. But like for the most part, um, we'll just do that. I mean, look, I, at most of the people in California, like, yeah, we don't do the one up, one down right over each other because we can't see each other. The minute you drop down, for the most part, they're gone. And then you got a guy down there who's going to fire at something and I don't want to take a spear or... You could be on the surface and see a white sea bass swimming underneath you and shoot it. And then the next thing you know, it went through the sea bass and tagged your buddy on the way up. So we give each other our space, but we communicate. Yeah, it's a good point. I think I think dudes in, in, in places where there's predominantly shit fizz listen to some of the, the buddy protocols that we talk about. And then they, they think, ah, oh, it's impossible where we live. So we'll just carry on just diving solo and be conservative. I don't think it's an excuse. So I think you've still got to have some sort of process in place that's going to minimize that risk the best and sometimes it's just negotiating with your buddies and saying hey look i, I don't i don't think we're diving as safe as we could like um let's try look, can we try this and and sort of just experimenting like obviously having good communication with your buddies is is the is the trump card isn't it yeah for sure i mean when i was in baja recently there was the deepest it was was like 35 feet at some spot and we kind of just went pew, we talked to each other and there was a boat guy kind of watching out and we had floats. So we had floats, that's the other thing, right? You have floats, people know where you are. Now, this kind of leads me, I guess, to float line versus reel because in a kelp bed, like sometimes um, float line is a pain in the ass, whatever. But what we do here is we don't have, oftentimes we won't have floats on the end, just have a float line so that people can see you. Because we have so much traffic sometimes on the weekends, if you dive on the weekends in a certain area, you're going to get run over like and it's happened to multiple people like so a flow line helps and a float helps even better but in a kelp sometimes it's just not really that possible for a float so we use like either carrot like small floats um i grew up or when i say grew up but like i always hunted with a reel in the little area that i like to hunt and it's not as much boat traffic but a reel is kind of nice because you're less likely to have tangles while you're hunting now after you shoot a fish that's the other thing so i kind of look at it like okay how much visibility do i need to myself so i don't get run over 
And then the other thing is, because um, nobody pays attention to a flag, like they just don't. Like they're looking for fish, they're trolling or whatever. Um, and it's hard to see regardless. So, and if you get far enough away from your boat, it's like kind of, you know, not the smartest thing either, but you know, it happens. I mean, <laughs> it does. So with a um, float line, it's like, do you want to have dealing with tanglement and bullshit for two hours? Is it that much necessary? Like, cause sometimes it can be like that. Or do you want to have a reel and only deal with bullshit after you shoot the fish? Now the bullshit you're going to be dealing with after you shoot the fish is going to be a lot. Cause you're going to be running through that thing and you're going to be cutting them out and you have to go down and th- you know what I mean? So it's like, it's all personal yeah, preference I know what I mean. and it's situational. Like if I'm diving in La Jolla, I'll have a float line. Uh, if I'm diving in Point Loma where I live, I usually just have a reel because I don't want to like, you know, it just, it just depends and who I'm diving with. That's the other thing. Dive buddy system. It's really easy when you have a float line. I'm um I'm just conscious of time, bro. I'm really enjoying this. There was a few more questions that I, I feel like we've kind of covered, um, but and I don't think we're going to get to this this interview. But um, was there anything we could close out with for diving dirt, dirty water that we haven't covered already? Just as far as like recovery we're equipment, talk- if you lose anything, yeah, go ahead. Oh no no no, you, you're right. I mean we've covered we've we've covered spear guns and reefs, and we've talked about a buddy protocol. We've talked a little bit about the approach to the bottom. I think they are all pretty pretty awesome things. But um, no, recovering equipment. I interrupted you. Yeah, no for you for the guys that don't know. I mean, uh, I always try to have like a five pound dive weight attached to a line and a little float. And so you throw that overboard. You drop anything or whatever in viz bad viz, and you can go down and circle search it. Sometimes where you live in places with good viz, you don't ever really think about it because you just go down and see it. But like in bad visibility places, just throw the thing overboard, mark it on your GPS if you have that, and then dive down and grab, say if you have five feet of visibility, grab five feet of line and swim in a circle, five feet. Go out another five feet and swim in a circle. And you do that ever expanding circle, depending on what your visibility is until you find whatever it is you're looking for. So that's just a little tip too, as far as that stuff. Nice, cool, man. Do you want to increase your bottom time and uh, lower your comfortable operating depth? Of course you do. I've got a great offer for you. It's a 28-day freediving transformation. can be found at noobspiro.com forward slash TED. You can learn how to increase your bottom time, dive deeper using proven freediving training techniques in the comfort of your own home. And the great thing about the 28-day freediving transformation is you only need a small investment of time. You need 25 to 40 minutes, three days a week, and five minutes on two of the other days. And you can significantly improve your freediving performance in in only 28 days. Check it out at noobspero.com forward slash TED and jump on the 28-day freediving transformation. Hey, um, I am extremely conscious of time. I reckon we're going to get through two more sections, but let's not be overly anxious because I'll have to get Brett Whitman back for a part two. But um, wanted to get to probably one of the funniest things you've experienced out spearfishing. Um... <laughs> Well, I don't know. Swimming in the reef was pretty funny. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I got carpal tunnel. Uh, so this is kind of a funny story. Like, so I'm supposed to be on deployment and working, right? <laughs> my wife's here working full time, taking care of my three kids, all their extracurricular activities. And uh, I was 
called her and I was bitching about my wrist really hurting, you know? And uh, <laughs> she's, I was like, man, I think I got carpal tunnel. And I got back to the doctor, you know, and like, yeah, you got carpal tunnel. And she's like, you got fucking carpal tunnel from spearfishing so much on your deployment. Thank you for your service, Brett. You motherfucker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a good time. Uh, your wife's got a good sense of humor. Yeah, I yeah, like she puts already. up a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, awesome. I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's probably. And then the other story is when I'm at work, my buddy was under a pier. We were doing, um, I would swim against the sea lions and dolphins. So we would do these tactical little swims and go under piers and stuff like that. And uh, all of a sudden you just hear, ah, shit. And he was under a pier downtown San Diego and a sewer pipe broke over his head. Just started dumping sewage on him from one of the restaurants. <laughs> oh, 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 so, that was a good ragged, time. I mean, ragged. I got stories like for days. Like my, I could write a children's book with all the stuff with the dolphins and sea lions. You know, um, <coughs> I got uh, yeah with the dolphin. I want to. I want to. <coughs> sorry, excuse hey. me. I want to chat with you more about that. Yeah. I, um, I think we'll have to we'll have to do a part two at some st- some stage in the near future. Um, I wanted to round out with some Spiro Q and A. We're gonna, we're not even gonna get to your dive bag today, I'm afraid. But um, like I said, part two in the near future. Um, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Um, to uh, to be honest, it's uh, why do you spearfish? My buddy told me why do you spearfish? Just like like uh, best. Um, the reason why he said that to me was because. Uh, I was like uh, struggling with some stuff and I was trying to do this and that. And he was like, dude, why are you even doing this? You know, like um, the best piece of advice, I guess, in short is just relax when you're in the water. When I was younger, I was terrified of sharks and I'd watch Shark Week all the time. And I'd just like, and it'd always be in my head. And like, I don't know, I love sharks too, but like, I was just terrified. And I told myself that not that long ago, actually, where I was like, um, you know what, you're gonna, you're either gonna do two things, you're gonna stop diving, or you're gonna keep diving and enjoy yourself. So, are you gonna let the sharks, like whatever it is, this mystical creature that, yeah, you know, I always said if it's an odds game, like I'm kind of screwed because I'm in the water all the time for work and this and that, so, um, you know. Um, so, I just told myself to like relax and enjoy diving. Like, who cares, let go. And you'll be a better free diver for it. Love it. You know, and, and you'll enjoy yourself much more. Otherwise, just stay out of the water. That's cool too. Apart from COVID nineteen, what is your biggest current challenge in your spearfishing, and um, how are you sort of approaching? Um, it? To be honest, diving deeper, like hundred feet past, and be comfortable. You know, like you could do it free dive training, but can you do it hunt right? Um, and oh, yeah, and yeah. so it's, much a, it's a much different proposition. Yes, and so I'm, you know, uh, I'm trying to. I would get squeezes anytime I went past. Like, I would get squeezes often in my throat anytime I went past, like seventy around seventy. Um, and so I've been doing lung stretches. Uh, I've actually been trying to do some cardio for a change and like condition myself so that I have maybe doesn't even matter, but I have the mental confidence. And to be able to calm myself, saying you've done everything, you're prepared, you're good to go, kind of thing before the dive. And but the biggest thing I think for me is lung stretches, um, and and throat stretches and diaphragm stretches. I I never did any of that stuff before. I never stretched or anything like that. And I feel like that'll help a lot with efficiency and stuff. You're talking about 
in- increasing sort of flexibility and movement of your of your rib cage. Right. Yeah. I mean, I lifted for you know twenty. I, I played college football. Like I was like a giant meathead. Like for the most part, like I lifted and lifted and lifted. Never flex, uh, stretched or anything like that. And then what I find, and I had a trainer tell me this, man, if you don't stretch when you get older, it's going to cause serious problems. And I was talking to Mark Healy about this. Like that's, as I've gotten older, that was the only thing that really gives any relief that allows me to keep doing what I'm doing is like either yoga or just stretching. And it's so, but what I've noticed now is when I take my breath, I feel like someone's got a vice on me and I'm pretty sure that's my ribs not being able to stretch as much as they should now that my lungs are like, you know, I've just kind of listened to my body more and realized I got to stretch and I, and, um, yeah, I got to stretch period. Um, yoga resources or stretching resources. What's your go-to? Yeah. To be honest, like, uh, yoga to me is like, uh, I'm pretty simple person. It's just stretching like, but it's the, it's the flow of the stretches they do, you know? So it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, let's not like overcomplicate things here. Like it's stretching, okay? Over spiritualize it. Yeah, um, but there is yeah. that spiritual aspect that you're supposed to work with your breathing. But I'm like, I'll work on that separately. Yeah. I just want to yeah. stretch. Um, so, like for me, I went to a few yoga. Uh, I went to some yoga classes with my wife, and then um, when I was over, yeah, it was pretty funny. She was laughing the whole time. Um, I was too. I I I I didn't have the balls to do it. I just found a, a YouTube channel. Yeah, <laughs> I found you, that that'd be good peer pressure, positive peer peer pressure from your wife that got you over the line, I guess. Oh yeah, so I did that, and then I went over. I was actually when I was overseas, I was deployed in the Middle East, and I was on a boat with a bunch of like Neanderthals, and there saw this one guy. He's a Brit. Um, I was on this British ship, and he was stretching and. I was like, oh, you guys do yoga? Like thinking I could, if you guys will do it, I'll do it with you uh, at sunset yoga at 4.30 on the back deck of the ship. And the guy's like, oh, you do yoga? I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, how about you teach the class? And I was like, I mean, I did yoga. Like I did like two classes like last week. And that uh, since that, it's been years, right? So I literally was all stressed <laughs> out. But like with me, I'm like, okay, let's buckle down. Let's do it. So I wrote out like and started working on it. And I showed up and like all my, my, uh, EOD buddies and like uh, some other friends. So it's all these like, you know, soft guys, like like meatheads and stuff all up there. And I'm leading them all in sunset yoga on the back of the ship and all my boys. And at the end of it, it was so funny. My wife's like, what the fuck? And at the end of it, like there's a picture of us like all silhouetted doing it, you know? And all the boys were like, hell yeah, Brett, you know? And it was so funny because it was like, so I just have this little like 45 minute routine of stretches that I like to do and that I learned. And uh, so I just started to stick front. I actually put that together for that incident. And so I just stuck with that because it works pretty good. And then I'll Google like diaphragm stretches and stuff like that. They, they, they say the best way to learn something is to teach someone else how to do it. So it sounds like you've, um, you've done it. I found this guy on YouTube, Sean Vig, um, and 45 minute yoga for me is like, I, I, I get the shits with it after about 30, I've found, but, um, he's just got these like 10 and 15 minute beginner men's workouts and (laughs) I could just do them in a pair of my undies in the lounge and, and no one's there to watch and laugh at how I'm flexible and Neanderthal (laughs) like I am. So it's fantastic. It makes a difference though, man. I tell you. You like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I love it. Yeah, the pride. I, I, I don't tell many people, but I, I secretly love it. You know, the pride kind of goes out the window when you get older. I don't know. My buddy said it best. I went to the it was like Fourth of July, and we were going to the beach, 
and he's carrying all this kid stuff, like Spider-Man chairs and stuff. And he looks over at me and he's like, you know what, Brett? Being a parent is fucking gay. And I was just like, what? what? He's like, being a parent is just fucking lame. And he's got like all this kid shit dangled all over him. And like, no offense to gay people. Like, sorry guys. Um, love you guys. But yeah, I mean, no, seriously, he's right. like, just being a parent is so fucking gay. I'm like, okay. And I look over, he's got all this shit. And it's like, you're right, man. Like you just stop caring when you're a parent. Cause you're dealing with so much other bullshit and other people's crap, mm. dealing with other people's kids. Like mm. whatever, dude, I've been, you know. You left to, you You'll have to buy my T-shirt from Noob Spiro. Have you seen the Spiro Dad T-shirts I've got? Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that was a funny that was a funny idea that my mate helped me create. And um, I have I haven't um, I've only really just got them up on the website, but I, I I love that design. I think it's very like there's this there's this sub niche of us lame Spiro dads, and it's just it's just for us. I think I think it's funny. It's just like reality versus fantasy, you know. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm 2.30 right now and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Hey, all good, man. Um, I've got a JIT. I've got another interview starting in a couple, but um, people can come and find you and I'd encourage them to download the Spear Factor podcast. It's um, S-P-E-A-R-F-A-C-T-O-R. And um, are you on socials and stuff, Brett? Yeah, it's like the Spear Factor on Instagram and, and I have a Spear Factor uh, Facebook group where we try to like share stuff and then... Uh, um, on uh, I was TikTok now recently. That's a good time. Uh, TikTok. Yeah, don't Shit. even get me started on that. We could talk for another thirty minutes on that. But it's you got You got to do the TikTok, bro. Um, no, it's uh, yeah. My kids laugh at me. Some of their friends saw me on TikTok. That it was funny. Stuff. But uh, I'm not dancing around like a monkey with music though. It's just spear fishing videos with the <laughs> Spiro uh, Sydney Spiro's guy. Uh, super cool. Um, and Sweet. Um, yeah, my website too. The website. Yeah, it's, is it spearfactor.com or is it the spearfactor.com? It's spearfactor.com. Yeah. Cool. I just try to post stuff Sick, on man. there well, for people to check out if they have any ideas and stuff or questions about stuff. There's heaps of like DIY equipment shit on there that I really like. Like your YouTube channel's good too. Like there's um like if guys want to make stuff that doesn't break for pretty cheap, I think you've got um a bit of a you're starting to grow a little bit of a monopoly on um some some neat gear on there, man. So um keep up your efforts. Thank you. Yeah. I mean it I, uh, I, I believe in everything I put up. I'll tell you that much. Like, cause I got tired of losing fish over stuff. I spent a lot of money on and it's cheap, but there's also some brands that I recommend that are, that their shit is good and you pay for it. Um, like anything else, but it's really good. Yeah. 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 All good. Hey, let, looking forward to um, part two of this interview already. Um, Brett, let's hook up again in the future. And um, yeah, and thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a blast, man. Really appreciate meeting you guys, all you guys out there. Brett Whitman, everyone. What an absolute champion. That was a, a cool, cool episode and some real wicked stuff there on Dirty Viz Diving. Unfortunately, I didn't really get to cover as much ground with Brett um, as I would have liked, so I'm probably going to get him on again at some stage in the future, and maybe I'll even get an invite over there onto the Spear Factor podcast, but you never know your luck. Um, but um, yeah, check out Spear Factor podcast, um, even on his social media channels. He's always sharing the stoke, sharing the love, and uh, heaps of um, stories and stuff happening in over there as well. So hey, in two weeks, I'm off to do a guide for first time blue water hunters and um, 
This episode will not disappoint. It's Adam Olski. He's an unusual character, very interesting dude, and really prepared well for this interview. And so it's a full guide to your first time out on a blue water proper hunting trip for spearfishing. And uh, Jeep is a timely advice because um, I haven't done my very first blue water trip yet. Um, so I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed picking uh, Adam's brain. So come back in two weeks. And as usual, if you love the show, if you froth out on it, Head over to patreon.com forward slash newspiro, become a patron listener, support the show, and um, and it helps fund trips out where I get to come out, dive with you guys, and hang out with listeners, hang out with um, people that I've interviewed on the podcast, and also record a whole lot more new interviews. And so hopefully next year, I'm going to the US early in the year. Thanks, guys. Over and out. Interesting message today. If you are a budget-conscious Spiro, head to spearfishing.com.au Go to the clearance tab. There's a whole bunch of magic deals and bargains in there. Use the code NOSPERO to save a further $20 on every purchase over $200. That's right, spearfishing.com.au. Clearance tab. You'll thank me later. Is that more spearfishing shit? Yeah, it is, honey, but it's my favourite podcast. You just can't stop yourself. You're obsessed. Well, that's true, but Shrek told me I'd, I'd lose my 90s dad look. Baby, it's all for you. For those that are a little obsessed, head over to noobspirit.com forward slash madgear. We've got hats, beanies, tank tops, t-shirts and hoodies for noobers who are mad about spearing. Noobspirit.com forward slash madgear.